I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast, The Wong Takes Episode 3. An announcement for the podcast. We are on Patreon. And what is that, you're probably wondering? Well, it's a tool, it's a website for creators like yours truly to make money with, in our case, per month pledges. And what do you get in exchange? In exchange, you get perks like you can see the outline that I use for each episode. I can give a shout out in the podcast or the description so I can put your name on those various places and if you want to check it out even if you don't want to donate right now if you just want to look at the page you can see some stuff like our archives things are there besides on our website thewongtakes.wigsite.com slash thewongtakes and also there the website is patreon.com slash thewongtakes patreon is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thewongtakes check it out And let's get on with the show. Topic number one. The United States wins the gold cup. Woo! USA! 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 As you can see, this is my national team of choice. In case you missed it, the United States beat Jamaica, the reggae boys, 2-1. Josie Altidore with a beautiful free-kick goal at the... End of the first half. And Jordan Morris with the game-winning goal in the 88th minute, which was nice to see because he got some redemption after being responsible for the equalizer pretty much as he gave up a run off the bat or toward the back post. And it was just an exciting game. Uh, no team really had a huge edge, although the U.S. had more possession, but They couldn't really convert their chances until later on, even with the backup goalie for Jamaica in there for most of the game after suffering an injury, a hand injury, pretty early on. He still got the best goalkeeper of the tournament award, so congratulations to him. But nonetheless, the United States are your 2017 Gold Cup champions in front of a packed crowd in Santa Clara, California of 63,000. So beyond just winning the Gold Cup, which isn't necessarily the stiffest of competitions, being just from the North America, or from North America, Central America, and the Caribbean, and pretty much maybe the only team ranked higher than the United States, or that is better than the United States, being Mexico, or possibly the Ticos in Costa Rica. But beyond just the Gold Cup victory, this is a great win for the United States, because this is some great momentum going into the rest of World Cup qualifying and hopefully the World Cup itself. Because right now, the U.S. in the six-team World Cup qualifying final of this region, they are currently in third place, and which is third out of possibly four qualifying spots. And they've already played their toughest competition of the qualifying, Mexico. They've already played them twice, including once on the road where they somehow managed to draw. So the toughest competition they have left is probably Costa Rica and then Panama, but but they've already had their toughest tasks behind them. So they look primed for qualifying for the World Cup, which is what Bruce Arena was brought in for. 
after the turmoil that was the Jurgen Klinsmann years. It's nice to see that they haven't they actually haven't lost under Bruce Arena yet and I believe is 14 matches. So this momentum is is going to be great for them so that they can take some confidence especially beating Costa Rica 2-0 in the semifinal. They get to see them again in qualifying on or in September. So that's going to be a fun match to watch in the United States and U.S. won the gold cup. Woo! Topic number two. Chaos in Cleveland. It's a catchy title, huh? Specifically, though, we're going to be talking about Kyrie Irving's request of a trade and all the ramifications of that and other things. So a little bit of context. You're going to be hearing a lot about possible trade deals and things of the nature, but LeBron's contract, he says up in two years, he's got a player option next year, so it's really he has one year left on his contract. And he has a no-trade clause, so that means a team can't trade him unless he says he is okay with that trade. And meanwhile, you got Kyrie Irving. His contract's up in three years, but he's got a player option in two. So he's under contract for sure with them, for two, for two with the Cavaliers for two more years, and he doesn't have a no-trade clause. So, beyond Kyrie Irving just asking for a trade, LeBron was unhappy with that, obviously. And there were some things about how he might beat him up if he saw him, and he's vehemently denied that. But regardless, they're not getting along together at the moment. And it's interesting, because LeBron really, he doesn't have much to prove anymore with the Cavaliers. He already came back and won one for the land, and he's... He's a hero now. He's a hero there forever. doesn't matter if he leaves. He's going to be immortalized there. And so I think we're not going to see a trade until the season starts. I think Kyrie Irving will start the season with the Cavaliers. Because if they had seen a trade by now that they really wanted to pull, it's been it's been a week since he asked for the trade, and he's been in trade rumors for at least a month now. So if they saw a deal that they really liked, they would have traded him probably to whether it be the Spurs or the Heat or the Nuggets or one of these other destinations or even the Timberwolves look like a good a good prospect maybe sending Andrew Wiggins back for Irving but hasn't happened yet and I think he could have if they get off to a good start Kyrie Irving's putting up good numbers they might be able to get better value for him and that would be a better time to trade him or it could even be a Kevin Love trade to try and rebuild, not necessarily, but get better pieces. Because if LeBron leaves and then Irving or Love leave, now what are you looking at? Even in a weaker Eastern Conference, if you're shipping those parts out or those parts are leaving, the conference is going to get better and you're going to be worse. So you're going to have to either find a way to get enough pieces back to still be able to contend for a title or you're going to have to rebuild, which is kind of the way the league is now. There aren't that many teams. There's not, with this league of super teams, there's not that much incentive to be the 7th or 8th seed. So most teams are either just rebuilding, like, say, the Bulls we talked about last week, or you're at the top, like the Warriors and the Cavs at the moment, and the Celtics are coming up to there. Even they, they couldn't stay even in the second seed, you have to make a move like Gordon Hayward to actually be able to contend for a title. So I think 
this could be, I suppose, a move toward parity in a few years, at least more parity than there is now, if they move LeBron and Kyrie to other Eastern Conference teams, or if they move to other Eastern Conference teams. But if they go to the West, the problem is not going to be solved, and you're going to have to either... The Cavs are going to have to start looking at possibly rebuilding or getting younger pieces for the future. All right, topic number three is going to be a little more serious. We're going to be talking about the NFL's recent concussion study by the Journal of the American Medical Association, excuse me, and it found that 10 or 110 out of 111 brains of NFL players had CTE. And these brains were donated to this uh, association to check for CTE, which is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which can lead to aggression, depression, and anxiety in the long term. This study is, of course, it's significant. This is this essentially proves, if we didn't know already, that the NFL can cause brain disease in the long run, and it's dangerous if you don't treat your body right or if some if you hurt your head enough when you play the game, but it can be a little misleading. And that's saying that this wasn't representative of the entire league. This wasn't 111 randomly sampled brains, although these people that were, were sent in, these their brains, they did play different positions. So this was a sampling of the league of sorts, but these were people that had already been believed to have CTE or suspected to have CTE by those who donated their brain. So this isn't completely representative, and I've read numbers anywhere online that can range from 9% to 99% of brains in the NFL could have CT. So we still don't know definitively how much football affects your brain. Although it could be misleading, it does still raise awareness of the issue, which is a good thing. However, we don't really see this doing that much, because all this does is People go, oh, shoot, uh, I'm not going to watch football, or I'm going to not like it as much, or I'm going to feel guilty. But that doesn't really affect how we watch the game. Because as long as there's gambling, as long as there's fantasy football, which I, full disclosure, participate in, we still watch the games. And even with movies like Concussion, which was a huge hit and made people think of the concussion issue, and even after Junior Seau's death, uh, which was probably caused by brain disease, it doesn't affect, even though viewership numbers are down, it still doesn't affect how we watch the game. We don't necessarily, you don't see large numbers of people going away from the game because of these concussion issues. So I'm curious about this question. I think we kind of all are, is what would it take to get people to stop watching football? And another proposal that I'm curious about is, I've read this, that what if at some point, and I think we are headed toward this future, where people don't actually play football in their own bodies. And this kind of sounds ludicrous, but I don't know, and I don't know how this exactly would be implemented, but it seems like we're coming toward a point where it's going to be deemed so dangerous that you can't even play in your own body anymore. You have to have some sort of sensors around you or things of that sort where there are still football players or there are still bodies on the field, but there aren't actual football players or actual humans in those bodies. And I think if enough of these studies come out and there's some significant event, such as we see larger numbers of people with CTE and 
all football players get sampled and maybe over 50 to 60 percent of them or even maybe a little bit less than that have CTE and we stop seeing youth football have so many kids because parents will stop putting their kids in youth football then we'll start to see a significant change in policy of the NFL or a significant change of the sport as a whole. So now, topic number four, we're going to move on to UFC 214. And I did not pay for this, I will say that. Um, I was anticipating this, I wanted to see what happened, but I did not pay for it because I have not paid for a pay-per-view in my life. So I think you're going to hear a little bit more of just the implications on combat sports, the implications on things from maybe a person who doesn't, who isn't a diehard follower of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So if you didn't, if you don't know what happened, John Bones Jones defeated Daniel Cormier via a third round knockout with a kick to the head and punches after that. And this was their second fight. Jones defeated Cormier in their first fight, and this has been a rematch that has been stewing for a couple of years now because they were scheduled to fight last year, but there was, or Jones violated the anti-doping laws and as a result was not allowed to compete. So this has actually been a good rivalry. This has been fun to watch um, on SportsCenter and things of that nature because you get to see them. They don't actually like each other. So it's it's really good to see an actual rivalry, and then they get to go at it in the octagon. And so now this rivalry, in a sense, is over now because John Bones Jones has won twice to Cormier's nil. And um, he challenged Brock Lesnar next. And if you don't know, Brock Lesnar is much bigger than him. He is 40 pounds heavier than him. And... This could be another mega fight, or not a mega fight, but at least a fight that will generate a ton of hype, similar to the McGregor-Aldo fight, or not quite the level of Mayweather-McGregor, which we'll get to in a little bit, but this could be a huge fight that could be a big spectacle, because these are two big personalities that could draw a lot of fans, especially going across divisions, so that would be a lot of fun. And once again, this is just a good time for combat sports. You got this fight, you got him and Lesnar, although that's probably not going to happen just because of the weight differences, but it could, we never know. And you got Mayweather-McGregor, August 26th, which is going to be a humongous spectacle and draw in huge numbers, probably. And then you've got the biggest boxing fight in a while. You got Canelo Alvarez and GGG, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, on September 16th, which boxing fans I know are are really looking forward to. So, good time for UFC, good time for the fight game, and maybe I'll get into it, especially with free boxing coming to ESPN, which is exciting. They had the Pacquiao Horn fight last week, or last month, and they have some more fights coming up this summer to close it out. Topic number five, Adrian Beltre. Did you guys see him? move the on-deck circle a few days ago. That was pretty funny. He got tossed out because he didn't... No, just kidding. We're talking about 3,000 hits, of course. So he is the 31st player in Major League history, the first Dominican Republic-born player 
to reach that milestone of 3,000 hits, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. Even if you play 20 seasons, you got to average 150 hits a year. And even though he's the first Dominican Republic-born player to this milestone, he's just another success story from the from the country because you got Albert Pujols, who recently hit 600 homers, which is nothing to scoff at. And you've got Pedro Martinez, who's always been a really popular guy, and he's now on the, in the media, and he's won a couple of champion or he's won a championship, and it's great to see these success stories. And what's different about Beltre is great. He's just been a model of consistency. He's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer going to Cooperstown. He might be underappreciated, people could argue, because his defense is what is often what led him apart winning multiple gold gloves, I think it's five, and being in the league for this long, even having some of his best years near the end of his career. So he does the the non-sexy stuff with the defense and getting hits, but he also has 450 home runs, so he's got the pop. He's just an overall great ball player, and he's a great guy too. You can see why he's a fan favorite, because especially with the whole touching the head thing where you touch his head and he swats you away with Elvis Andrews or Anyone who wants to touch his head. I don't know if that's an act anymore. It might be an act, but either way, got him a lot of popularity, which doesn't hurt. And also he's relatable, because you got this guy. He's an old veteran with all these young kids nowadays, and people can relate to him. So that's always cool to see. Gotta love Beltre. So thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast. Don't forget to check out the website thewongtakes.wixsite.com slash thewongtakes thewongtakes.wixsite.com slash thewongtakes Check out our Patreon. You could get shouted out here. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash thewongtakes and also email any questions, comments, concerns at thewongtakes at gmail.com Thank you and I will see you next week.